listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the last part of our series that we've called Abundance. If you have anything to take notes with, now is the time. You can pull that out. I do want to say uh, next week's going to be pretty cool. Our new series, Home Improvement, is going to be a phenomenal opportunity in November during Thanksgiving month to talk about family. And so if you're looking to be a better parent, better mom, dad, spouse, if you just want to know what the Bible says about it, it's going to be a great opportunity also to bring people along with you. Uh, to church. So home improvement's going to be pretty cool. Uh, I do want to say that in our last part of this series, Abundance, this has been a journey. And I'm just, by the way, grateful that y'all came back after last week. I, I know that was hard for some people, but you made it. Uh, but Abundance was really this opportunity to add value to your lives, really an opportunity to show you what God's Word says about your finances and how God wants to have us blessed. Now, money um, is a huge deal, but I also know this, that many people have come to the church and you're brand new. You came in the month of October, and, and so you came during a series on money, which is like, God bless you for sticking around. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about who New Chapel is, and that'll give some insight into where we're going to take the message today. And so people have asked, what's the vision here at New Chapel? Simple. We're for people to connect with God and to be raised to new life in Christ. We want you to be born again. This is true. The only way to connect to God is through Jesus. But more than just just get you saved, that's huge. If that doesn't happen, nothing else really matters. We don't want you to stay there. We want you to be raised to new life in Christ. And, and to us, that's four different pieces. The first piece of the pie is that we do want you to know God. And, and, and let me be very specific. I want you to know him. I don't want you to just know about him. I don't want you to be able to quote things about them. I want you to know your God in an intimate and personal way. Can I hear an amen? And then we don't want you to stop there. We want you to find freedom. So you're going to heaven. This is true. You're going to avoid a Christless hell. Heaven is your home. You're a citizen there. But so many churches stop at no God. I want you to find freedom. What's that? I want you to, I want you to find freedom from your past. Find freedom from addiction and, and old issues in your life, the, the issues that haunt you in your mind. You need to be delivered from all of the junk of who you used to be. Now, here's the interesting thing. If, if these were the only two points, Christianity would still all be just about you. But the next two is where really it finds its forward momentum. The third thing, maybe you're jotting this down, is to discover purpose. We want you to find out who God made you to be. He created you in his image. This is true. But he put something great in you, and he wants you to do something phenomenal. So this purpose thing is massive. You want to find out what you're good at, what God's called you to do, so that, write it down, you can make a difference. Your whole life is directed toward that. People say, Pastor Joe, what's the meaning of life? That you would know God find freedom, discover purpose, and that you would make a difference. What do I do after that? Rinse and repeat. <laughs> Help other people to know God and find freedom and discover their purpose and make a difference. Well, what do we do after that? Have that multiply and multiply, and do you see this is the gospel. It's going into all the world and, and sharing that good news that Jesus died for all of us. Now, today is going to be in a message on abundance. It's going to be our make a difference type message. We're going to give you a vignette of abundance that shows you how we can leverage the abundance 
really to be able to make a difference for Jesus. Are you with me, everybody? If you have your Bibles, open with me to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, Today, I'm going to talk to us about true riches. And if you are taking notes, that's the title of today's uh, message. True riches are, and I'm going to fill in the blank for us today, but uh, the Bible says certain things to certain people. And so much of the New Testament is written just to anybody. But there's certain books in your Bible, which are letters that are written to pastors. Now, the Bible puts it in there so you know you have context. Everybody can be on the same page. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is writing this to Pastor Timothy. We're going to get into the first part of this passage, and we'll circle back to it, I promise. But I want you to see this first part of it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 17. The Bible says, Command those who are rich... In this present world, and it continues on, here's what I know. When I preach a passage like this, and I say, command those who are rich, many of us in the room check out. You're like, last week he was all over my feet. But thank God, because I'm not rich, Pastor Joe. I'm not that type of person. And I would beg to differ. In fact, studies would show that if you make $45,000 or more, uh, that's a household take, you are in the top 1% of earners in the world. Now, that doesn't mean if you make $20,000 or $30,000 that you're not well off. Compared to the rest of the world, you're at the top. Uh, There was actually a Gallup poll about this. They tried to figure out what people meant when they said rich. So, like, are you rich if? And so the question was posed to people that made $150,000 a year. How much money do you need to be rich? National average, people said $150,000. So they went to these people that made $150,000 and they asked them, hey, are you rich? And they said, no, no way. I've I've got college bills. I've got, no, I'm not rich. And so uh, they, they were asked by many different people. One of the demographics in there, they asked people that were making in between thirty dollars and $35,000. And they said, are you rich? They said, no. But they said, who is rich? And they answered this, those that are making $75,000 a year. So the people making thirty dollars to thirty-five, they said, I'm not rich. But the people making seventy-five grand, they are rich. So they went to the people making seventy-five grand, and said, are you rich? They said, no. Okay. They went to the people who subscribed to a magazine, and this is a real thing. It's called Money Magazine. And they said, how much money, liquid assets, on hand do you have to have before you are rich? They said, $5 million, okay? Two things I take from this. Number one, there's literally a thing called Money Magazine, and I'm not a part of it yet, which I think is very symbolic of maybe where my life is. But, but then number two... These people are saying, these are multimillionaires. They're saying, are you rich? And they're saying, no, you got to have five million to be rich. And so here's my grand conclusion from all of this. Uh, Maybe take a picture of this, jot this down. Nobody is rich, yet everybody knows somebody else who is. And the truth of the matter is that God has blessed you. Welcome to America, where I'm not rich, but I know somebody else who is. These are what I would like to call rich people problems. Have you seen those memes before? Those memes are so hilarious. Rich people problems. Let's get on the same page with it. You'll see something on the internet, and it'll be somebody complaining. They're on their phone. They're like, man, this internet sure is slow, right? To me, when I grew up with, you know, fast internet's relative. Come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They say, this internet's slow on this plane that I'm on, in the air, 
Okay, that's rich people problems. You, you, you checking with what I'm laying down? You, you smelling what I'm stepping in? Okay, here, here's another one. Uh, you, you went to a room in your house this morning where your clothes live. It's called a closet. And many of you went in front of that closet. You opened it up and said, I have nothing to... Yeah, rich people problems. Let me just help you. And so what you need to realize is that you got to get comfortable with this word rich as it applies to you. And I think that's where the uncomfort is because you don't feel rich, but the Bible asserts the fact that you are. And so write this down. You are rich. You are rich. You live in America. You could have been born in Russia. I've been to the Middle East. I've seen the desperation and the hunger. I've seen three, four-year-old children that aren't wearing clothes, that are scatting in the streets, and I've seen devastation. And so you might be in a modest spot in your life, but listen to me. You live in the greatest country this world has ever seen. You go to the greatest church that's ever existed. I'm just, I'm trying to. And so God has blessed you. You are rich. Can I hear a hearty amen, New Chapel? Now, why does God want you rich? 2 Corinthians 9. We'll go back to 1 Timothy in just a minute. 2 Corinthians 9, the Bible says, you'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Throw that scripture up there, guys. You'll be made rich in every way. I want you to see this, that God wants to enrich your life and he wants to do it financially. Now, God wants to enrich your life with more than just finances. He wants you to have an enriched marriage. He wants you to have rich emotions. He wants you to be stable. He wants you to be enriched with his giftedness. He wants you to be enriched with great ideas. This is all true. And here's the why. This is where you're going to make more peace with how the Bible looks at you and says, I want you to be blessed. Here's the why. God wants you to be blessed so that you can be a blessing. Write this down. He blesses you with more than you need so that you can be a blessing. We're talking about abundance. We're talking about having more than you need to consume so that you can use what you have to be a difference maker. And what's interesting with all of that is rich people aren't very good at being rich, at least in America. And in fact, write it down, the more Americans make, the less that they give away. Did you know that? That per capita, as income goes up, the percentage of giving goes way, way down. And if you want to know who the most generous people are in the United States, they're who we would say poor people. We'd say the poor people. If you look at them, they're the biggest givers. They give so much, they're not thinking about it. And what this tells me is this, is as we prosper financially, as we grow in financial security, here's what happens. Ultimately, we begin to look more and more at money as our source rather than God as our source, and this should not be. We have to fix this. Yikes. We become our source instead of God Almighty. And that's why the Bible says, hey, Pastor Timothy... Hey, Pastor Joe, talk to your congregation about this. Get everybody on the same page about these type of things. Okay, back to 1 Timothy. I'm going to jump right back where we were. The Bible says this in verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Man, isn't that true? But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I want to pause just for a second. I want you to see this is the heart of God. 
So, so God wants to bless you. He wants to enrich your life. He doesn't even want you to feel bad about it. He wants to do it, but he, he wants to enrich your life in such a way where ultimately your net worth isn't going to be the guarantee of your security. It's uncertain. Your, your net worth is uncertain. The stock market, your 401 is uncertain. But he wants you to put your hope in him. Verse 18. Here we go. Command them to do good. Y'all look at me. Here's my moment. You ready? Do good. Now, the Bible tells me I'm supposed to do that, so y'all don't get mad at me. I'm in sales, not in management. I, I command you to do good, to be rich. Okay, be rich in good deeds and to be generous and be willing to share. In this way, this is very interesting. This is where the whole message is going. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Very interesting. So that they may take a hold of the life that is truly life. It says, command them to do good to be rich. In other words, the Bible's trying to tell you, hey, it's okay that you're blessed, but be a good rich person. You're rich, be a good, and and it's not, again, trying to put a guilt trip on you. It's not trying to make you feel bad. God wants to make you a blessing. He's not trying to make you guilty. He's trying to make you responsible. He wants to make you a good steward of all of this. Wow. And then it says, lay up for yourselves treasure as a firm foundation in the coming age. Remember that. That when we give, when when we bless other people, when we're trying to make a difference with the abundance We're actually making an investment in heaven. It says take hold of a life that's truly life. That's really living. You think really living is like watching an episode of Cribs? It is nothing in comparison to blessing other... I'm sorry, I'm so old. That was a new show to me when I was young. Sorry, everybody. Some of you are so old, you're like lifestyles of the rich and... Okay, so we that live in a glass house, okay? But that's not the sign that you're blessed. The sign that you're blessed is that with whatever else you have, and it's not a desperation to get it out of your hand. He's giving you all things richly to enjoy, but that you can bless other people, that you can make an eternal investment in someone else's life. Wow. Last week, we talked about tithing. We talked about how when you tithe, you sanctify, uh, you, you set apart, you, you, you make your money holy. So the tithe is holy. Holy means set apart for a specific purpose. But then what happens is you sanctify the whole lump of it. You get the spirit of mammon off from it, and it becomes that useful tool that we really can use to see God's blessing. And I've seen people in my ministry become financially blessed. I've seen people become blessed in the world, and I've seen people trust God and become blessed. And the common denominator I see with normal people is that they don't deal with so much of a haughty spirit as much as they deal with guilt. They feel bad because they have more than people they grew up with and their extended family. They feel guilty about that. People hold uh, a guilt over their life, and they feel like they can't enjoy the things that God has blessed them with. At the same time, this time of year especially, we will begin to see commercials and social ads for different nonprofits, for different organizations that try to display for you opportunities to give. And when you watch some of these commercials, it's like they're the biggest bummer in the world. If you watch the one that's trying to, like, rescue dogs, I mean, I don't even really like my dog, and it makes me feel bad for their dogs, okay? 
Like, I barely like my dog, okay? But I'm, I'm like, man, maybe I should send money because look at that dog. He's literally crying. They, they caught a shot of a dog crying. I mean, you don't have a soul if that doesn't move you. And then they'll show you just, you know, even real things that are happening. They'll show you things in Russia or they'll show you hungry kids in Africa. But here's what the Bible says, that people like me are never supposed to guilt you or take advantage of guilt that's already on your life for being blessed. The Bible says never make your people give reluctantly or out of compulsion. So, so I'm never going to be the guy to show you videos and, and be like, you need, to do, you need to give because look, if you don't, that kid's going to die. And I'm not discounting what those people are doing. Some of it is great work. I just don't like being guilted into giving. Anybody else with me? And in fact, I would say, especially in the church, the last thing that people want to do is be guilted into giving. You shouldn't give both reluctantly, you shouldn't be hesitant to do it, but you also shouldn't give under compulsion. And so what I want you to see in all of this is that New Chapel has no problem, God has no problem with you giving to a cause or giving to a reason but I don't want you to be moved and impulsively give towards that. One of the best passages I could give you in this concept today of true riches, and I'm going somewhere with this message. When you see all of it, you're going to be like, whoa. One of the best passages I could give you is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The Bible says this, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Pause for a second. Leave that passage up there, guys. Uh, This is what we would call the law of sowing and reaping. If you've trekked with this series at all, we've we've endeavored to give you spiritual law. We gave you how uh, the 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 fact that money has to be converted uh, from primary resources. We gave you the law of the hand, the the law of the storehouse principle. And in here, I want you to see the law of sowing and reaping. One of the best motivators that you can have as a Christian to give, and especially above and beyond what God has called you to give, is the fact that when you sow a little bit, God says, hey, you're going to get a little bit back. When you sow big, God's going to bless you big. He sees your heart, and it's in proportion to that. It's not even in proportion to how much you actually give. Because God sees your situation. He sees how much money that you have. But I want you to see this law of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you reap. The world Eastern religion, they would call this karma. But karma has this negative connotation to it as well. That if you do some bad things, some bad juju from God's going to come. That isn't the case. God's not sending bad things on you. There's bad things in the world, believe me, that are fine. You need God's help for that. But at the same time, they're sowing and reaping. Here we go. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart. God's saying, I want you to be an intentional giver. Focus on this. Think about it. Not reluctantly. Don't hold back. If if you get into messages or series like this, and it makes you tighten up, and you get suspicious of the church, that's not God's heart for you. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. If you don't give, they will die. That's not the motive here. For God loves, what does he love? A cheerful giver. He wants you to actually be excited about what you're doing. And so write this down. Here's where I'm going. Never apologize for the blessing of God. Write this down. But leverage the blessing of God for influence. Don't, don't, don't apologize because God prospered you. Don't, don't, don't apologize because God got you the car that you were believing him for. Don't feel bad about it. But at the same time, in whatever spot of life you're in, leverage that blessing 
to influence other people for Jesus. Can I hear an amen, somebody? Don't feel guilty. Be responsible. And what I'm saying is this. Learn how to be blessed. Learn how to be a person who can say, God has blessed me in my life, and I'm going to steward it. I'm going to manage that blessing the best way that I can. And so, look at me. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to show you pictures of desperate things. I try to give you a report about what we're doing here at New Chapel as often as I can. But honestly, here's the truth. I don't want you to feel like like you're being pulled into this. My job is to show you the opportunities. You have a Holy Spirit. You need to be led by God. You need to pray and say, God, about these opportunities, what is my part to play? This is an above and beyond. God, what do you want me to do? I'm not going to tell you what to do. My job is just to show you the opportunities. Amen, somebody? So I want to show you just a couple of things that are going on here at church in the next couple of months. In fact, the leadership team, we're looking at how to end the year, how we're going to land the ship and get into 2024. Can you believe it? It's, it's just weeks away. And so the first uh, thing that I want to make you aware of is we're going to be hosting a kingdom legacy offering. This is our annual giving opportunity. This is over and above what our normal tithes and offerings are. So, so don't just uh, don't, don't designate money on that day toward kingdom legacy if it's what you normally give. Now, you say, Pastor Joe, this, this feels like, man, this is just coming right up. This is six weeks away. I'm telling you about this six weeks in advance because I want you to pray about it. I want you to think about it. I want you to ask God, say, God, what is my part to play? And then I want you to plan for it. Now, this annual giving initiative is really our endeavor as a church to fuel everything that God wants to do in the following year. So our normal budget doesn't cover some of the big things that we do here at church. So we do big outreaches in July, our Living in Freedom event. We do big outreaches uh, during Christmas time. I'll talk about those in a second. We do big outreaches. We support people uh, as much as we can. But how do we fuel these different things? We fuel them through the Kingdom Legacy offering. It's above and beyond our operating budget. And there's three different areas that we focus on with Kingdom Legacy. If you've been around here for a while, you know what these are. The first one is that we focus on people. So this is to say uh, outreach events, special initiatives, benevolence, our mercy fund, and leadership development. So Kingdom Legacy helps fuel different things that bless people directly. The second thing that Kingdom Legacy does is it helps us with places And let me be very specific. Last year, I came to you and said, hey, we got to move this stage back. We've got to open up uh, some different corridors back in the kids' area. I need to get some different classrooms open. We need to renovate some different classrooms. And you've seen the ground that we've taken. This particular year, and hear me, I've got to say this in a managed way. Hear me. I'm doing everything I can for our future. But in the meantime, I'm never going to cap the blessing of God and what he's doing here because of building. We learn, being a mobile church, that the church is not a building. The church is a people. And so our next step that we've arrived at, because we've had our, our largest numerically, our largest services that we've ever had this fall. In fact, even though you see some seats that are available, that's why we went to three services to make more space. Uh, We are on track that by the time we hit the holidays to have 500 on average, we are over 400 people on average. Now, this is what this means. 
This wall over here that goes into a hallway, at its widest, it is uh, seven feet wide. At its thinnest, it is six feet wide. We need to take out this wall come January to have more seating go into that space. We'll make a wall that goes over there next to our entryway, but we're going to need the space. It's very uh, wild season here at New Chapel because we're seeing the life change happen, and I never want to cap the blessing of God or make it about a building. Amen, somebody? And so you think, well, Pastor Joe, all you're doing is demo. That, that doesn't cost anything. Look at me. Everything costs everything, okay? And so just trust me in the fact that there's more coming up, but that's one of the things. And I'll make more things available and clear to us over the next five, six weeks. Uh, the third area is in the area of partnerships. These are our missions partners. That is local, national, and global. We support, of course, Pastor's Friend, but we also support many local missions hand-to-hand. We support uh, other missions in the Middle East through Club 1040. This is something that we fuel with what comes in during the Kingdom Legacy offering. And here's what it is. It's, it's an offering, but it's not for the church if you think of it right. If you think of it, it's all to make room for people that aren't even here yet. And that's the heart behind the legacy that we want to leave here at New Chapel. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Uh, The second thing I want to mention to you today is our random acts of kindness cards. Now, our random acts of kindness cards, you uh, might have noticed them all over the church. They're these little cards, these blue cards, and I want you to grab gobs of them on the way out of church today. Here's why. I want us to begin to think of this and maybe do this once or twice or five times before the year concludes. But the idea with these random acts of kindness cards, it's different than Kingdom Legacy. Kingdom Legacy is an offering that we open up, we start in December, and it's you giving through your church. This is you giving directly to people. And it could look like you uh, on Monday morning going to Sandy's Donuts. How many of y'all felt the Holy Ghost when I said that? Going to Krispy Kreme, getting a whole dozen baker's dozen more, God bless you, showing up with a whole bunch of donuts, plopping them on the table and, and putting those cards down and saying, hey, a little something extra to show you God loves you, and so do we. Maybe it looks like you going through uh, the, the drive through at Tim's and you're saying, hey, how much is the order of the guy behind me? Well, it's $2.39. If you go through Starbucks, it's $9.48. But you know, how much is the order of the guy? Okay, I'll pay it. You give him this little card. You tell him God bless you. And you pay for their order, and then they get that little card. They don't even know who did it. There's little ways that you can imagine that you can bless other people. And I want you to grab gobs of these because we're a church that's not all about building our thing. We want to bless people who cannot pay us back. Can I hear an amen, somebody? Okay, next couple of things I want to talk about. Man, it's this early to to talk about? I don't know, but it's our Christmas outreaches. And the first one is our Samaritan's Purse Operation Christmas Child Packing Party. Now, this is going to be held, uh, it's over in the Cedar Rock area at a warehouse. It's December 9th at 10 o'clock. This is our opportunity to pack a whole bunch of gifts together for those that are less fortunate internationally and locally. Now, we had, you can see it in that picture, we had more people than I expected turn out for this outreach. And so we have limited spots available You need to sign up at guest services, and I would encourage you to sign up as early as you can. Let's uh, obviously fill out that warehouse to be able to do all of this good work, Uh, but then ultimately uh, you want to do it so you can make it in with your kids or or, um, maybe with your spouse. And so this is our packing party that we do every single year, and the idea with these gifts uh, is that they go internationally. 
So they go overseas to young people in Africa and in Kenya and uh, in Pakistan and the Philippines and in Russia. They go to these people and they not only bless them with a Christmas gift, there's useful tools inside that box for their everyday lives. This goes uh, to people that are in abject poverty and it gives them not just a blessing, but it gives them the gospel with it all, which which is the best thing. Uh, It also is something that we pack and put together so that we can do different outreaches locally. And that's the next thing. We have our Love Your Neighbor Christmas Gift Outreach. Now, the dates for this are to be determined, not because we don't have an idea of when it will land. We're pretty sure. But many of these have to do with the neighborhoods that we do these outreaches in. So we go to Alpine Meadows and different neighborhoods that are around our church And we bring to their uh, local Christmas party, they're already doing something, so we just kind of come into it and we say, hey, here's some gifts. And we give gifts to everybody. We don't know in those situations who is necessarily less fortunate or not. And that's not really our business because along with those gifts, we give the gospel. Can I hear an amen, New Chapel? That's what it's all about. And so even though the dates are to be determined, if this was something that you've done in the past and it really is important for you to do it again, or if you're interested... You can go to guest services today and make sure that you sign up to be a part of these outreaches. Hear what happens with all of this, whether you're talking about kingdom legacy giving, uh, these little random acts of kindness cards, or these outreaches. In all of these things, it's not just giving to give randomly. There is a place for you to give impulsively. In fact, for some people, for every Christian Every once in a while, an impulsive gift is a good thing. But what God really wants you to do is what we read, and that is to give like intentionally, not compulsively. And so you're thinking about it, yes, but then also you're leveraging it for the gospel. You're also not just giving it for the love of the game. So there's nothing wrong with the the charity that's that's rescuing dogs. They're just not going to get any of my money because people are going to hell. And so what I want to see is that we're not only giving humanitarian aid, but we're giving humanitarian aid in Jesus' name. If you're behind people and they're doing all this humanitarian aid, listen to me. This might sound harsh. You can go to hell with a stomach that's full of rice. We can do a whole bunch of humanitarian aid and help people with their earthly problems, but if we don't pair it with that good news gospel, friends, we just fed people, and there's no eternal treasure. There's nothing that has a residual benefit beyond that one meal. Are you with me, everybody? Write it down. Social justice without spiritual justice, it isn't justice. You're not helping people unless you convey the goodness of God. It cannot just look like love. It has to look like love in Jesus' name. Are you all with me? Okay, Uh, the the next thing that's coming up, and I'm mentioning this early uh, because it's a huge, massive deal, and that is that on December 24th, on Christmas Eve, we're having our Christmas Eve services. But I want you to see that for the first time, maybe you want to get loud about this, for the first time, New Chapel, we are having four services on one day. Come on, somebody. 8 o'clock, 9.15, 10.30, 11.45, and for Pastor Joe, a good old hearty nap before the rest. And, and so this is Christmas Eve. These are going to be our typical candlelight services. 
And uh, we've done these Christmas Eve services in the past in the evening. This particular Christmas Eve lands on a Sunday morning. And I get it. Some churches are still doing a Sunday night thing. God bless you. Here's what I know about our crowd is that I think you're going to appreciate that little bit of extra time to go hit some of the stores on Alpine, to be able to make it to a, uh, a family gathering, maybe the big meal on that night because our normal church services are still going to happen in the morning no matter what. Why do it twice? Let's combine all of it together. Now, the reason why we're doing four services is because just with our natural growth, we would need that. But at the same time, here's what I know. We need to make room for people that are far from God. Christmas is a great opportunity to, to reach family and friends that, that really want a relationship with God but don't have that on-ramp, that, that, that invite. And so it's an opportunity where we've all used in the past uh, to invite people to come to church. So four church services time, uh, 8, 9, 15, 10, 30, and 11, 45. These will be 60-minute services uh, because we have to pack all of them into the morning. And trust me, it's going to be an opportunity for you to really have that special Christmas moment. I'll be reading the Christmas story, the candles, all the great Christmas hymns and carols that we love. Uh, what I would say is this. What are you talking about? Like, how do I give back to this? Two, two ways. First way is I need you to invite every human being that you know <laughs> to come to church on Christmas. Uh, last year, that snow devil, uh, he gave us a blizzard, and, uh, and it was wild. And I'm, I'm believing, God, that it's going to be a day that we can have redemption, have everybody in the house. Uh, but then the second thing, yeah, why not? So great. Uh, the second thing that you can do is uh, you can be a person that says, hey, I will serve that day. Like, it's, it's Christmas morning, Christmas Eve morning. I get all of that, but it is on a Sunday. You shouldn't be working. And, and on the other end of all of that, it'll be like a normal day. If we just do what we normally do, we'll be able to pull off everything that God has for us. If you don't serve currently, but you're like, you know what? Why not? I'll serve on that day. You can either fill out the connection card that was in your weekly packet, or you can let us know on the team up card over in the lobby, however you do it engage on that day. I think it's going to be a great day for harvest here at church. Can I hear an amen, church? Okay. This is why we tithe, and this is why we give. Write this down. When you and I invest our money in the kingdom, we convert our money into true riches. Remember we read in, in 1 Timothy how we'll lay up treasure for ourselves as a firm foundation. We, we've read these passages where God wants to enrich our lives. God wants us to convert our money in the here and now into true riches. Okay, here we go. Matthew 6, Jesus says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Pause just for a moment. I have to say it. Jesus is not saying that you cannot have a savings account. He's not saying that you can't have a storehouse. He's saying that you need to be doing your, your primary banking in heaven. There's other parts of the Bible that tell us to be good stewards, to have a storehouse with resources. And so Jesus, don't hear what he's not saying. What he is saying is he's making emphasis, and he's saying the primary way that we bank is in heaven. Here we go. Uh, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, when, when people read this passage, 
they, they get ideas about what Jesus is saying. And, and if you question them about it, or maybe even question yourself about it, you, you'll find that your argument or your thought on it, it might not be based on the strongest uh, foundation. In fact, a lot of people think that what this means is that, that when they get to heaven, there's going to be a lot of cool stuff up there. So like, okay, what is your heavenly treasure? Man, I tell you what, when I get up to heaven, I'm going to be living in a heavenly Frank Lloyd Wright mansion, okay? It's going to be big. It's going to be massive. And I'm going to have marble floors. And I'm going to have platinum golf clubs in the carpet. And, and I'm, going to have a, I'm going to have a DeLorean parked in the garage. And I'm going to have a gold toilet. And, okay, gold toilet. Uh, you know, the Bible says that he uses gold for asphalt in heaven. You're not really going to be interested or concerned with your stuff. And I'm not saying that it won't be amazing. I'm believing God for my, like, Frank Lloyd Wright mansion. But, but notwithstanding, that's not the treasure of heaven. Well, we're going to need money to buy stuff. Really? You're going to need money to buy stuff. Are you going to have to tip the angels at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Are there tolls to, to use the streets of gold in heaven? Why are you going to need money? What are you going to buy when you get there? Are you going to have to pay rent on your mansion in heaven? You get up there, and it's like, hey, whatever you invested, that's what's in the account. <laughs> Sink or swim. I mean, like, what are you really needing all that money for? What is the treasure of heaven? Everybody say treasure of heaven. Jesus has this very interesting parable. And when I first read it, I'm going to be honest with you, I had no idea what he was saying in that cotton-picking parable. I'm, I'm reading, I'm thinking, like, this does not gel. And I studied it. And I read it, and I worked it out to the spot where it clicked for me. And here's my hope. My hope is that it clicks for you today. It's a parable that's found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you love extra homework, look at this this week. Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. What are the treasures of heaven? Here we go. Let's start with verse 1. Jesus says that there was a rich man... Who was a steward? Steward would be like he's a manager for an owner. Someone else owns the business, but he's managing it. And an occasion was brought to this owner that this man, the steward, was wasting his goods. So he calls him into his office, so to speak, and he says, What is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, and I'm not going to let you be a steward anymore. So the guy gives an account, apparently, and, and, and the, the, the guy who's the owner doesn't like the answer, and so he blows him off. Okay, next passage. So the steward says to himself, what shall I do? For my master's taking the stewardship away from me. I'm going to be fired. I cannot dig. I'm a soft-handed guy. I'm too ashamed to beg. I'm too big for that. I've resolved what to do. Then when I'm put out of the stewardship, when I'm finally uh, out of this job, they, everybody say they, they may receive me into their, everybody say their, their houses. Remember that passage, what he's trying to say here. Verse 5, so he called every one of his master's debtors to him, and he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he says, a hundred measures of oil. And so the steward says to him, hey, take your bill, sit down quickly and rate 50. Write it down. So this, this manager is going, and he's trying to build favor with this guy who is one of the clients that, that the master serves, and he's giving him a 50% discount, okay? Verse 7, 
Then the servant says to another, and how much do you owe? And so the guy says, well, I owe 100 measures of wheat. And he says to him, take your bill, write down 80. So this guy's thinking. He gives one guy 50% off. The next guy, he gives 20%. He's counting their money. This is what he's doing, which my dad always said was in poor taste, but that's exactly what this guy is doing. Verse 8, so the master comes back, and he sees what's going on, and this is very unexpected. The master commended the unjust steward. So acknowledges that what he did was take advantage of his role, but he commends the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly, financially shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in this generation than the sons of the light. Verse 9, this is Jesus' teaching for you. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, when you die, they, everybody say they, they may receive you into an everlasting home. What? Make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon. Jesus, just just passage or two earlier, you were saying, I cannot serve God and mammon. Now you want me to make friends with the stuff and and, and, and that somehow unrighteous mammon is going to receive me when I get to heaven? I don't understand where you're going. No, that is not what Jesus is saying. That's wrong. This is what Jesus was saying. He is commending this guy because this dude... He is looking for his, his future. He's looking toward what his next phase is going to be. And he's leveraging money in the short term to make a place for himself in the next. He's making these relationships with his boss's clients so that he can use the money, use the debt. This would be like a guy who's making things right at the credit card company, okay? He's saying... This guy's doing a good thing because he's leveraging the unrighteous mammon and he's making a place for himself in his next phase, his next job. And what Jesus is saying is you need to leverage unrighteous mammon in the here and now. And what it does is it makes it so they, their, those will receive you when you get into heaven. Who receives us at the everlasting home? What are true riches? True riches are people. They're people. You're able to leverage your money in the here and now. And and what God is able to do is, is use it to make a difference so that people get saved. So that when you get to heaven, there will be people there that receive you and will be thanking you. Because although you sacrificed in the here and now... You made friends with unrighteous mammon. How? I tithed and I gave. And when I did that, God honored it, and it made it so people could get saved. Are you all with me in the house of God? Say amen, somebody. You don't even know. You're going to get to heaven someday, and there's going to be people from churches that got saved all around in different churches all over this country. And they're going to come up to you and say, thank you for being faithful to your church because my church didn't plant for years after. We're a part of the ark just like you, but because you gave, thank you. Thank you. I'm saved. My family got changed. We got free from that junk in our past. Thank you. You're going to have people come up to you. Oh, say from a Bible school in Italy from the Philippines, from South America, from South Africa, from the nation of Pakistan. They're going to come up to you and they're going to say, you're from New Chapel? Come here. They're going to hug your neck and they're going to say, thank you. 
because you invested in your church, because you invested in the nation of Pakistan. I'm saved. I'm not going to hell. And not just me, but my family got saved. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, my sister. The Bible says that they will be waiting for you and they will receive you in your everlasting home. The the treasure of heaven is not the stuff. The stuff will be cool. There's crowns, but I have precedent in scripture that as soon as you get those crowns, you're going to fling them at the feet of Jesus. The truth of the matter is the great riches of heaven. What Jesus looks at is rich is his people. He wants to enrich his family. That's what God is trying to do. Don't be agitated when we do a series on money. Don't be agitated when we talk this way. If you are, listen to me, don't give. We don't want your money. God will raise up some sinner to come in here. He'll get saved and he'll give like God has always done because you cannot outgive God. I'm not afraid to give. I'm not afraid of going broke because I know the character of the Jesus that I serve. And so if you're agitated when this happens, you don't understand the way the kingdom works. You say, well, the preacher gets all the credit for that in heaven. No. The Bible says, how shall they preach unless they're sent? God looks at the gift, the contribution that you make, and you get the same reward as the preacher. He's able to figure it out. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he accounts for all this stuff. He knows what your capacity is and how much you can give, how much you did give, what a sacrifice that was. And and he can weigh it all out. How does he do it? If he knows how many hairs are on top of your head, some of you, that's easier than others. He can figure out. He can figure out what that treasure will be in heaven. Look around you. You know what God is doing? He's changing lives. I'm I'm seeing families that are being reunited here at New Chapel. I'm seeing the gospel preached to teenagers and teenagers avoiding some of the dumb things that you and I did when we were younger. I'm seeing people become free from addiction and habits that have ruined them in their life. I'm seeing God set people's feet upon a rock. I'm seeing people get born again because Jesus Christ is being preached at this church. Don't be suspicious, be trusting of your God because it is he who wants to bless you with abundance. He wants to enrich you in every way so that you can be a blessing on every occasion. My friend, that, that is the abundance of God. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, I pray for my church. God, I know that in this holy moment that there are people in the sound of my voice and they need a financial breakthrough. God, I pray for my church right now as they take these thoughts and ideas from the Word of God and begin to graft them into their life, as they begin to take these principles, these beginning steps from the first week of the series until now, as they begin to walk these out. God, I thank you that you bless them indeed. I thank you, God, that you meet needs according, not to their needs, but according to your riches in glory. God, I pray that you would take religious mindsets and have them bow to what the Word of God says. Lord, I thank you that we're not going to try to get in some get-rich-quick scheme. That's not what this is about. But, Lord, that we will receive every good thing that you have for us. God, I pray that you build this church in wisdom so that they can have the breakthrough that they need financially. I bless my church. In the name of Jesus. Now, if you're in the sound of my voice and you don't have a relationship with God, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
you make him boss over your life, you'll avoid hell. You'll go to heaven. This is true. But the abundant life can start today. Pray this out loud with me, church. Pray, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised Jesus from the dead. This I believe. I surrender now. Come into my life. Put your spirit in me. Forgive my sin. I receive all that you have for me. I honor you, sir. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give it up for those people that accepted Christ. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, have a great week, guys. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.